0: Still in Ephesians 5, so moving along there. Uh, I never really, at least for years, would uh, call myself a video gamer. But for a very short time period in my life back there, when this stuff first started coming out, uh, I was one of those that uh, jumped into that too. But it was a little different back then. We were doing most of it on a computer with a joystick, you know, and maybe a button or two on top. And Ace and I logged a lot of hours Pod racing, you know. That was uh yeah. Uh that was uh I was always the better one In his mind, he was the better one. Uh Blood Wake, you know, where we fought the boats and uh, we did that. Uh Shalisa's over there shaking her head. And I guess I kind of quit at Red Dead Revolver. You know, that was about it. At that point, the kids spent too much time, the joysticks changed, I was done. Okay. And so uh, I I sort of uh, left the whole thing. There was an advancement at that time in the gaming systems. And so a lot of the old stuff didn't work anymore. And, uh, you know, every time I have to get a new computer program, it annoys me because I have to learn something new. And learning a new video game on a new contraption was just more than I wanted to do. So I'm not much of a gamer. But I... I decided it was not something that I wanted to do from an economic standpoint either because I figured out then that they were going to keep upgrading gaming systems, outdating and making things obsolete so that they were no longer compatible with the new stuff. They might give you one system, but by the next one, it was going to be gone. Then I figured out then that that was not a money pit that I was going to throw a bunch of of time, energy, and effort and money into. If you do, more power to you. I guess everybody's got to have their entertainment. I know. I'm, so judged, you know, I don't, I'm not going I'm to judge i'm feeling attacked. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so he just shuts the door on that. You know, not going to hear it. La la, la 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 I get it. Okay. Think for a minute, though. When you come to know the Lord as your Lord and Savior, do you get a new operating system? Yeah, is it compatible with all the old programs? Well, it shouldn't be. And maybe my analogy breaks down there because some of you are going to say, oh, yeah, those old programs will work. You might can work them, but they don't work, do they? In Christ, as we learn more and more about him, as we grow in our faith, it's sort of like a new operating system. Or at least it's like an update that they give you in the middle of the night. You know, to where you wake up, you wait 30 minutes for the thing to finally reboot. And then all your programs that you Needed for that day don't seem like they're working right. Have you been there? And you do 16 reboots and whatever. Well, it's kind of that way as we grow forward in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. As these updates take place, there's a lot of the old stuff that just doesn't work anymore. I realize that we have life patterns and neurological pathways that work for us. Or at least we, we've used them as coping mechanisms. Or we're just there's just sin patterns that we're into. And it's real easy to fall back into those sin patterns, even after we've got this new operating system in Christ Jesus in our life. But what we want to understand, what I want us to see this morning, is I want to I want to focus on that one little word: incompatible. Is it compatible? Just not compatible. That is the the name of the message this morning. But before I get into that, I, I want to lay some groundwork here for you because because if I don't do this. When I read this passage in a minute, it's going to scare you to death. I mean, if if you just read it, you're going to look at it and go, oh my goodness, we're in a heap of hurt and the church is in a heap of hurt and is anybody saved and all that. And so I, I don't want us to go there. And so I want to do some prep work ahead of time to help you kind of process this, not to take away from this passage because it's stark and it's going to say what it says and it is frightful and you're going to have to deal with that. But there are some things that you can put in this in your understanding that will help you deal with it, I think, better and maybe help us deal with where the church is today. So let's talk about that new operating system for just a minute. In 1 John 5 and 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God to obey his commands. And look at this. See this part. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it then that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. I struggled with this passage for a while. His commands are not burdensome. One of the things that I thought was the hardest thing in the world to do was to keep the commands of God. I thought, man, what do you mean they're not burdensome? It's a burden for me all the time trying to do the thing that I know that I need to do. And then I, I, for some reason, saw it on the flip side and I don't know why. And then it began to make more sense to me. Where is the burden in your life when you obey the command of God or when you disobey When I obey, that's not a burden at all, is it? His commands, when I obey them, are not burdensome. They don't weigh me down. Matter of fact, I look in the mirror at the end of the day and go, this is a good day. When I am burdened and when I become burdened is when I don't obey those commands of God. And there may be a struggle in getting to this point where I grow up a little bit. But to say his commands are not burdensome for us. There are people in the world who look at it differently but for us to walk in the ways of God is not a burden at all and in that we come to a place where we as we walk with him and grow we overcome the world let's talk about that for a minute there are three levels of Christianity that John talks about in first John the second chapter the 12th verse he says I write to you my little children because your sins are forgiven um Because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Okay, now I'm reading from the ASV here. This is another one of those times where I I wanted to get some things right. And so I did just a little bit of theology uh, more than I normally do. That my wife probably doesn't like or care about. You know, she's always getting on to me about being too technical. But the ASV and the KJV seem to be the best translations overall. And this time, once again... The the ASV beat the KJV on one particular line and the way that it was interpreted versus the King James uh, that I'll point out to you in just a minute when we get there. But it's really insignificant. Um, There are some changes here that may be not so insignificant that some of the other translations make. Did that make sense? I'll look at you because you're the one that doesn't like it when I talk this way. Okay. All right. Um, I'm saying what I always say, if you want to know, if you want to do theology, you do it with the King James version in one hand and the American standard version in the other. And I'm saying in this case that there may be some minuscule differences here, um, in the King James and the ASV that don't change anything. They both come out at the same place, but there are some of the other translations that I don't think come out at the same place. And so you stick with those two, you're going to get there, I think, uh, and unless you know Greek and then you're way ahead of the ballpark and everybody else that knows it really well is ahead of us, but we can only do what we can do. He says, I write unto you little children and the word there, technon, I think it is. I don't know. I, I wasn't even going to tell you that word because I can't even pronounce the names in the Bible in English. How am I going to get the Greek ones right? You know, it's been way too long since the Greek class. But uh, the word used there for little children is different than the word that he's going to use for little children again here in a minute down in verse 13. Uh, Why is that important? Well, the significance of that is at least in a lot of the commentaries, some of the commentaries that I read, uh, there's a significance in this because in the first one, he's talking to them as children of God. He's talking to them as children, as a broad category, not as a particular phase necessarily. And so it's like this, the first phase of our Christian life is to get to that place where we understand who we are in Christ Jesus. We understand the forgiveness of God. We understand that we are forgiven, forgiven of sins. Isn't that where it starts? And that is something that everybody has in every stage. And it's something that's universal in our growth in every single stage. And so it's, it's, it's something he says, this is where you start as children, but the children in the broader sense means that it still incorporates the next two stages he's going to talk about, the young men and the fathers. I mean, really, when you think about it, what is our salvation? Our salvation is what God did in sending Jesus Christ down here to make a provision for our sins. And he died on the cross. He lived that perfect life and he rose again. And in that... He was that redemptive agent that took upon himself our sin so that we could now stand and be restored in a right relationship with God, receiving what his love wanted to pour out upon us in mercy so that we could know eternal life and abundant life while we're here. And our response to that was simple. It was just that we call upon the name of the Lord, ask him to come into our life, forgive our sins and to save us. And in that process, we turn from following sin, self and Satan, to following the Lord Jesus, having that willingness, believing in this work that he did for us as the only work and the only way that we can be restored to the heavenly father. It's just that simple. And your salvation and your faith in a very real sense never grows beyond that. It just expands that. Who are you in Christ Jesus? What is your position in Christ So let's read on and let's look at this. He says, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. You know him who was from the beginning. Isn't that the same thing that he's saying about the children? If you look down here, uh, if you look at what's just been read and you look down here in a minute, he says, I have written to you little children because you know the father. So what's the difference? The difference is in, in the fact that knowledge grows, doesn't it? And our understanding grows. What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus to you? What is your position in Christ Jesus? Do you see that differently now than you did 20 years ago? Okay, for you that are younger. Do you see that different now than you did two years ago? Okay. We grow in that, right? Do you think that Dave Annan sees his position in Christ the same way that Asa does? 84 years versus 35. What do you think? Hmm? So it's a knowledge and the knowledge is the same, but you're growing in a knowledge, understanding a personal relationship, a knowledge that is more than just head knowledge, but knowing the person that you're, you're knowing and this person that we're knowing is God. And so we start here knowing him and what that is, and then we grow in understanding of that more and more and more and more till hopefully out here, we get to a place that we really know him. Now, how do you know when you're moving from the child stage and you finally get to the father stage. If it's all just about knowing God and growing in that, at what point can we say, oh, Asa finally made it. He's there now. He's at that father stage. Is it when you lose a spouse? You get to that point that you walk through those kinds of experience with God. You get to know him in a different way, right? Is it when you face a health crisis? Is that where it is? No, I think the Bible defines it here for us because Paul puts another stage in there. The state or John does in the middle stage that he puts in, he calls young men. And he says, I write this unto you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then he says, I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong and the word of the Lord abideth in you and you have overcome the evil one. So how do you know you got from the baby stage to the grown up stage? Okay, let me read it to you again. Okay, are you listening? Let's see if we can get it this time. Everybody plugged in, okay? I have written to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, young men, he says, or I write to you, he says there. Now he says, I have written. He says, uh, young men, because you are strong, the word of God abides in you, you have overcome the evil one. How do you know when you're through this stage, the Word of God abides in you and you've overcome the world. Wow. Is that a possibility? Yeah. So here we are on this side. We found faith. Woo, we're moving. We're growing. We're overcoming the world. We're putting aside all those stupid sins of our youth and so forth. We're growing. We're growing. We're, we're able to overcome the enemy. We get to the other side and we have a place of faith that we're resting in that was different than before. Not that we don't always have to be on guard, but I guarantee you Dave Annan has a different place that he's standing in this progression than I do. So put yourself in there somewhere. Where are you? And I know what you want to do. I know how we are. We say, well, Rick, that's not enough categories. Give me some more. We want to say, well, there's younger children and older children. There's uh, younger young men and older old men. So maybe I'm just getting to the older young man stage. Or maybe I'm just barely into the father stage. I know how we are. It's kind of hard to identify, but I want to give you one more illustration just to make sure you got it. The story is told of an old preacher that they asked him and they said, and I'm talking about old as in years and age and experience. And they asked him, what is the most significant truth, powerful thing you've ever learned? And And this is what he said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you think the old man understood that the same way that the child did? Where are you at on this scale? Have you overcome the world yet? If we're going to make a correct interpretation of this passage in Ephesians, one of the things that we're going to have to do is keep this stuff in mind, I think. Now, there is a a place in this passage that we'll look at. That's very. Well it's just scary. And it's very pointed. When you look at the world. And where the church is today in America. But for most of us. We're going to be able to see ourselves. In the process. And most of us are going to be moving. Continually. More and more and more into the image of Christ. We're going to be moving. More and more into what God has called us to. And we'll see ourselves maybe. Maybe and challenged to move to the next step, or to be honest with some lack of progression that maybe has taken place in our life. But there's another place and another thing that's talked about here that is a place of of no faith at all that's very scary. So let's look at that passage and let's just look at it. And let's look at it and think about it in terms of not only our own personal life, but maybe the church in America today. Now, we read this before last week. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We talked about that last week, that position that we come from as dearly loved children to live that life of love in this world and what it looks like as we examine Christ's life and how he gave himself as this offering and sacrifice to God for us. And then Paul goes on to say this, he says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Not even a hint. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Okay, I get that. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now here it gets tough. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure or greedy person because such a man is an idolater. He likens these things to idolatry. He says, for such a man is an idolater and has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Those are pretty powerful words. So, and then he goes on to say, well, let's explain that away. Let's dumb that down a little bit. And Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words. The first person who would raise up his voice against this and say, well, Paul, you didn't no, He didn't really mean that. He said, because of such things, God's wrath comes upon those who are disobedient. So don't be partners with them. Then he goes on to say, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, the fruit of the light. It consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with those fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to mention, it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything that's exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. Now this is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Now he says, be very careful then. How are you going to live? Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Are you doing that? Why? Because the days are evil. Don't be foolish. Do not be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk with wine. This only leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does that seem like a tough verse to you? You women are yawning. You men are going, oh my goodness. Incompatibility. Have you ever known anybody that wound up in the hospital after they'd run all the tests, they determined that the problem was they had this mixed up cocktail of different drugs that were incompatible with each other and they were causing all kinds of bad side effects and in fact killing the person christianity has a lot of things that is incompatible with it and there are a lot of folks today and just our culture itself and where the church has come to that is trying to mix these things together and it's going to kill us and it's pretty subtle how it has done this over the years Christianity is incompatible with sexual immorality of any kind. Um, It's incompatible with impurity. It's incompatible with greed. These themes uh, were themes that were promoted in the pagan religions of that area and of that time that Paul was writing to these people. And he was really saying break free from those pagan religions and their practices. And don't bring those old pagan ways and practices into Christianity thinking that this is compatible. That's what he was saying. Because they were not. Do we ever do that today? Try to bring the stuff from the old into Christianity and try to make that compatible. There, there's a church in America today that I don't believe will long be a church because it's trying to do just that. Make Christianity compatible with things that are just contemptible. The LGBs. I-N-G-L-O, whatever, is not compatible with Christianity, okay? Um, Period. It's just not. Any church that teaches otherwise is uh, greatly deceived. According to this passage, would you not agree? So let's bring this home. And maybe in a different way. I don't know, I never thought about, I've, as many times as I've gone over this passage, I never really thought about it in this capacity. Um, if you look at the translation in the ASV, in the King James Version, it says, fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness. And those are probably better words, at least I think from an understanding of the crowd that Paul was writing to. One commentary that I, that I read said this relating all of this to one particular pagan religion that was operating at that time, that all of these were referring to the sensual sexual side of that religion that was so perverted and he was asking them to walk away from. And he connected all of these together with that religion. So fornication, of course, is promiscuity before marriage, marriage, and then uncleanness For the Jews, uncleanness would have really interpreted very clearly. They would have been able to to understand that without any trouble at all. That was disobedience to God's law in such a way that it left you unclean, able to enter the temple, able to, to have this fellowship with God. And thus the surrender of the body as it was as an instrument of unrighteousness in disobedience to God's law, which might include all of this Uh, sexual deviancy of this other religion would have been uncleanness. And then covetousness is not just greed as we think of in the terms of money, but covetousness has a whole nother side to it. And if if you look at it in, uh, in, uh, where is it? It's the Old Testament somewhere. Deuteronomy. It says, uh, and I've not seen the passage here, so let me just quote it. In Deuteronomy, when he talks about coveting, he says that um, you're not to covet your neighbor's wife as well. And he lists the things that you're to covet. And so what this author did was narrow all this down to an assault upon that one religion, that one worship practice that was so prevalent in Ephesians and so inundated with all of this uh, sexual immorality. And so he said, Paul was making a really strong statement here to say, don't bring any of that junk in here where Christianity is. Is there an application for us there? To not bring any of that junk into where we are with our Christianity. And if we're not careful, we don't even bring it in. It's just so much a part of us. It slips in. Matthew 5, 27, he says, You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If we're going to apply a Christian standard here to this passage of Scripture, and we're going to look at what we might have brought into our worship and our practices here in the body of Christ, are those not verses that we need to look at? Oh, here it is, Exodus 20, 17. I knew I had it written down. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor your neighbor's house, nor his maidservants, manservants, donkeys, or anything else that's your neighbors. No immoral, impure, unclean, greedy, covetous person, for such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words For because of such things, God's wrath comes upon those who are disobedient. So therefore, do not be partners with them. We live in a very perverse world and a very perverse society. We're bombarded by this nonsense all around us all the time. Is there an application here? I think lots of men today might find this verse a little bit unsettling. Because unholiness really has crept into our church in such a way that we, we tremble when we read about immoral, impure, greedy folks who have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. I mean, those are tough words. And I would not try to dumb them down in any way. Years ago, I memorized this passage. There's a reason I memorized this passage. And the reason I memorized it is because it put the fear of God in my bones. It scared me. It still calls me to repentance today as I look at it again. Honestly, can you read it with a clear conscience before God? Some of you can. And can you say that I'm all good here by God's amazing grace? John would then call you a father in the faith. And we're blessed to have many of those here. But there's still a lot in the young men stage trying to overcome these things. But I ask you again, is there room for the church to get a little more serious about repentance in this area? We talked about our nation this morning and how it needs to repent. And it's easy to point out areas and places where they need to repent. But before we jump on the LGBSIN community and say contemptible things, maybe we should take a look at our own selves first and see if there's some places that we're compromising with things that are incompatible with who we are in Christ Jesus. And what of the uncleanness, the impurity that he talks about in a broader sense, not just narrowing it as I have here, because I think there is a broader sense here. In what other ways are we contaminated and diluted by this world? Deluded by our desires of the flesh, deluded by Satan. Paul says that we are to be light in this world, and in so being light, we will expose darkness. This is to be our testimony. He states with wisdom that God gives us, we are to make the most of every opportunity. With wisdom that God gives us, make the most of every opportunity. That obscenity, foolish talk, and and coarse joking, which are out of place. These are not to be the graphic of our life. The graphic of our life is to be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And then he adds that we are to understand what the Lord's will is. Find out that which is pleasing to the Lord. Be filled with the Spirit. And speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Do you even know how to do that? I don't know how to live that. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I mean, the first thing that pops into my mind is, the, Hello, brother, how are you? Okay. Well, that's not what he's talking about. How do we speak to one another in a spiritual song? Here, Well, here's a clue. He says, sing and make music in your heart. Make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving Thanks. Let's put it together. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if that was our heart, we would truly be speaking in spiritual song maybe to one another when we spoke. A far, far cry. That's a long distance from obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking. As children of the lights goodness, righteousness, and truth would become maybe our anthem? What a far cry from impurity. The last thing he talks about here is greed, coveting, and greed in a different sense. Greed in the sense of that which is monetary. There is no place for that either here in the Christian's life. In Matthew 6, 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. He cannot serve both God and money. I don't have time to really develop that theme. I'm not going to this morning. But money can make people do crazy things. I think we've got a little taste of what's coming with what we're experiencing here in the Northwest. In Revelations 13, 15, I've read this to you before. And I'm not making an interpretation saying that this is where we're at yet, but I'm sure see the dominoes falling. He says this, he has given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could sell or buy buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Did you ever wonder how anything like that could really ever happen? I guess now we know. It can happen pretty easy, can it? Seems like a really short jump from the things that we're facing here in the Northwest. I realize the rest of the world and people who are listening to this online may not have a clue what I'm talking about. Um, but you may not be in a, in a small church that's looking at losing 12. Uh, that 12 folks, 12 families in our congregation are lo- looking at losing their job over over shop mandates. And you can begin to see how some of this could be so easily imposed. I'm, I've been impressed with God's remnant though. And the willingness of people to do the hard work before God to find the place that they need to land with their conscience and that they've been able to choose God over government mandates and over money. It's my privilege, I think, to be able to serve with you folks. I am blessed by that. And I am encouraged uh, by the way you have walked through this and wrestled with this before God. May he grant us all a place. Where the love of money does not drive this institution or drive our lives. Okay. Just pie in the sky stuff. It's a good sermon we can listen to. Maybe even a good sermon. Some of you don't even think it was good. You'll walk out the door and forget it right. And we're not going to do anything with it. Is God not really? She's fine. He's fine. Just walk around and keep listening. Is there something that God might be calling us to? When we entered into all this COVID mess two years ago, one of the things, or a year and a half ago, one of the things that we really said that we felt like God was doing was calling his people to repentance and asking us to line up with him because what's coming is he's going to need a people that are in as good a relationship with him and as right a relationship with him as they can possibly be. And boy, I know in the initial stages, my heart was there. I'm just going to do, 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 and do. But have we slipped back, 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 and back over a year and a half period of time? And how many times have you observed the children of Israel that when they were confronted with their sin and they were addressed by the prophet that they made a quick change, but then the minute the army left and there was no more threat, they took their slaves back. They walked back into the same bondage they had before. Could we be in a place of maybe doing that? I just want to try to give us a heads up. To be the people that God wants us to be in an ever-changing time that's really pushing hard against us. To bring things in the world into this place and make it compatible with Christianity when it's not. And I want to encourage you as I've encouraged myself. There was a reason I memorized this verse. I don't feel like I'm at a father stage yet and I'm 63 years old. I'm closer than I used to be. Thank God. I'd hate to say I was going the other direction, but I really want to get to that place. Don't you? Have you overcome the enemy? Have you overcome the world? There's the test. We'll talk about how to overcome the enemy in two weeks. Next week, we're not going to talk about marriage. Next week, you're going to love that one. Um, But, uh, Two weeks, we'll talk about that process of overcoming because Paul talks about it in Ephesians 6. Thanks for letting me share with you this morning. Thanks for being here this morning. Ponder some of this. Read this passage again, would you? And let's try to be the people God wants us to be uh, in these areas of impurity and greed and uh, sexual immorality. Let's see if we can move to uh, a whole different level with our lives and our entertainment and in our church. I love you all. Thank you for being here this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it's great again to be in a relationship with the God of the universe and to know that we have forgiveness of sin. But Lord, we want to move full gamut to the other side of this picture. To be able to know what it is to be in Christ Jesus. That we might look back at a verse. With age and wisdom and maturity. As the old preacher did. And say for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. Lord I think some. Some of us, Lord, may never move beyond the young man's stage. and Lord, that would be tragic. to have the knowledge to not walk into it to a place where our hearts resonate with the anthem of your praise of thanksgiving. Psalms, hymns, that Lord Jesus which captures our heart and our affection as we look up to heaven. From that place, Lord, let us become the people of God you want us to be. Lord, we get it. We get it in our brains. We get it in our emotion. And we know it's the road that's not burdensome for us. Just help us to launch into it, Lord. And to embrace it with all the joy that it brings to our life. And in that, Lord, opportunities will not be lost. And we will be walking with the wisdom of God filled with your spirit to discern and seize every opportunity. Thanks again, Lord, for your word and the moments together. Amen.